should be. There we go. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Thank you, Danny. Luke 11. How many of you are ready for the word of God today? Oh, we bless you, Lord Jesus, for the word. Luke 11. Verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place that when he stopped praying that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I find this quite interesting that his disciples says, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Do I have any teachers in the house? Any teachers? Any teachers? Okay, thank you guys. One, I just want to say bless you for all that you do in teaching our kids. Oh, my Lord, I, I don't know. I could never be a teacher like what you're doing, but just your engagement in the lives of young people matters. And I just want to, I would, I just want to applaud you. Thank you so much. I pray you're filled with the Holy Ghost protected from harm, disease, sickness, uh, complaining parents, <laughs> disruptive children. Do you need me to go on? I mean, I can add, I'm sure you can throw some things in there. Uh, but I've learned something about teaching. Um, teaching is more than conversation, right, teachers? It's more than words. In fact, if, I, if I'm... If I'm uh, picked up one of these right here, which is kind of dangerous for me to have this. Um, and and I, where's where's our pro golfer, Tom Fowler? Are you in the building? Are you? Where's Tom? Where's Tom? Come here quickly. Um, Tom's a professional at this, and so, and I'm not, and 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 so. If I brought him up on this platform and I said, Mr. Tom, would you, would you teach me how to, uh, now you don't come too close to me because I could hurt you with this club. If, if, if you're just standing there and, and I say, can you teach me how to golf? Walk me through it with your words. It would be difficult. Give me my microphone because I think this is important because I'm going to just, I'm saving money because it's usually $150 a lesson. I'm going to get it free right here. Uh, yeah. Is it on? Okay. Yeah, you're on. Okay. Please. So, no, you stay over there. Tell me okay. what I got to do. Well, you got to hold it right. Both hands. Right hand on the bottom. Face the right direction. Look at your target. Is that my target? Where's my target? Focus on the golf ball. Now give it all you got. So I swing from up here with one hand. Exactly. All right. See, the point is, Teaching is not words. It's not a conversation. Thank you, Tom. It's not instructions alone that I stand away from you and 
tell you what you need to do. Because there's a lot lost in the understanding and from his lips to my ears. But, Thomas, where are you? Come back up here quickly. <laughs> and, and teach me how to hit this golf ball. by getting close to me. So what do I do? Okay. No words necessary, but they would be some words, I'm sure. When the disciples said, Jesus, teach me to pray, they didn't go to a class. He did say some things. He did communicate some things. But what he did most of all was model and ask them to stand and sit and kneel beside him. To hear him pray, to watch him agonize, to watch him cleave to literally the garment of God and just go in intercession. This is how everything in your life that is important gets transferred to you. It's not by hearing a message or sitting in a classroom alone to receive instructions, but it's someone that models in front of you what they're saying and, say, and they say to you, here's how you do it and they demonstrate it. Does that make sense to everybody in this house today? So the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, would you teach me, would you teach me to pray? I feel that the greatest need in the house of God today is God's people learning how to pray. Take a look at this quote on the screen. I want you to write it down. I find this fascinating quote. In times of chaos, we do not rise to the occasion. We fall to the level of our training. When times are difficult and chaotic in your life, typically you do not rise to that occasion you fall to the level of our training. Does that make sense to everyone? A person is no stronger than their prayer life. You will not rise to the occasion simply because of grit, effort, hard work, you always fall to the level of your training. The greatest gift I can give to you as a pastor is not to exegete this book verse upon verse, precept upon precept to you, as valuable as that is, and instruct you from this pulpit. 
But the greatest gift that I could ever give you as a man, as a woman, as a father, as a mother, as a teenager, a young person, is to teach you and to model to you and train you on how to pray. Because when difficulty comes, you don't need to ask or to try to get or to effort your way into a breakthrough. You know how to pray your way into a deliverance, into a breakthrough, into another realm. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if I can train our congregation to pray that when difficulty comes, when chaos comes, you will fall back to the level that you understand. Talk to me in this house. Dwight L. Moody, many of you know him, probably one of the most premier evangelists that's ever walked the earth many, many years ago, as you know, uh, was a shoe salesman, got born again, had a fifth grade education. But he traveled the world preaching the gospel. He ministered to underprivileged children, developed Bible uh, school, Sunday school, and taught children the things of God. But he would travel and he would 30,000 people would come and hear him speak. Now, this is long, long, long time ago. But there's something about Dwight L. Moody that you may not know, that when he got saved, he got concerned about his friends that he ran with. He compiled a list of 100 people that he wanted to see born again. Friends that he knew, acquaintances and family members and all of his life, he carried this list of 100 people. Every day, he would take that list out and he would call that individual by name before the Father. And he would pray that God would send missionaries or Christians to them or somehow that God would move back the darkness so that the light of the gospel can penetrate their heart. And so it wasn't just... I'm going to call the name of Billy and I'm going to call the name of Tommy and I'm going to call the name of Sally and I'm going to call the name of Deborah. No, he literally prayed every day for these 100 people. At the moment of his death, they found his list. 96 marks, names that have been etched out and had become born again. Now, I don't know about you, but scoring 96 on a test is pretty doggone good. And most of us would have been happy about that. 96 out of 100 in his lifetime that he prayed for got born again. At his funeral in the memorial service, the other four that were on the list got born again at his funeral. You see, prayer is not hoping. Prayer is not desiring. Prayer is not wishing, longing for, or just having a good thought, because we hear this all the time. Our thoughts are with you. What does that even mean? You know what I'm saying? What do you mean? Okay, Lord, here's a, a positive thought. Right. I mean, it sounds good, right? Or, you know, my thoughts go with you. Here, take them. Put them in your pocket. 
And what exactly are those thoughts? Now, that's just a religious way of saying, I really don't have time to pray for you, but I, I may think about you during the day and my thoughts are with you, right? Huh? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever been on a subject that is more important than what I'm talking to you today. And I spent probably last year 30 weeks talking about prayer. I can't seem to be removed from it. Effective prayer is not thoughts. It's not good wishes or good will or desire. Effective prayer is engagement. Effective prayer involves wrestling. It involves travailing. It involves attachment, energy, time, labor, effort. Talk to me. And these are the things that we give ourselves to in the natural. Therefore, in the spiritual, sometimes we feel, I just don't have enough energy to give anymore. So we just fall back on, well, the Lord knows what's best and he'll work it out in the end. And I'll just have a nice thought. And we think that that will be translated as if it's a prayer. Can you imagine having with you a list of people that you know that are one heartbeat away from a devil's eternity. I feel that perhaps because we've not preached on this enough, eternity, separation, lake of fire, that it's no, it's, that death is just like a transition to bad to good, that everybody's gonna be in an eternal dwelling place where there's peace and happiness. But if we could get a glimpse of an eternity apart from Christ, knowing that our neighbors, knowing that our loved ones, knowing that our sons and daughters, knowing that perhaps even our spouses are literally one crash, one heart attack, one accident from stepping out into eternity, I think things would shift and things would change. Dwight Moody had an understanding what a Christless eternity looked like. So his 100 people, he knew that if God did not intervene and God move in their life, that those people that he loved dearly would spend an eternity away from God in a lake of fire in eternal torment. So every day that list was before him and that he prayed over those names. Can you imagine today all of those people now that are in eternity in heaven with him are grateful that he prayed for them? Some people are so far from God. Unless we do pray, they will never get born again. I'm going to say it again. Some folks are so hardened, so religious, so contaminated by hurt and by pain. They're so engaged in addiction, been confused by the church, they're so far from God that unless somebody prays, they're never going to get born again. And we 
we kind of, you know, and I say we, the body of Christ, kind of think, well, God will work it out. God will fix this. God, if he wants to save them, he'll save them. He'll send the missionary. He'll send the neighbor. He'll send the friend. He'll send, somehow, he'll hear the word. But do you understand that your Bible says, look at it at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to go here for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Somebody find it for me so I don't have to go up on the platform and get my, get my Bible from up there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to see what is happening with unsaved people. Verse 3, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. If I take the posture that it doesn't matter, that God will work it out in the end, I'm not going to have to witness and share and pray and testify and help others, that somehow the, they will just make it. But the Bible says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Every unsaved person is of their father, the devil. I was of the fa my father, the devil. He's the father of lies. He's the father of deceit, right? That's what your Bible says. When you are born into this world, you are born with your father in the spiritual arena being the devil himself. And it is his goal to keep me unsaved all the days of my life, to keep me away from the gospel, to keep me from understanding the gospel, keep me away from seeing the good in others, always seeing the negative, always seeing the hypocrites, always making excuses. You understand how the devil operates. He wants to keep me unsaved. I'm born into the family of the unsaved. My parents may be saved, but I'm born into the family of the unsaved because the Bible says the father is my, or the devil is my father. In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The goal of Satan, now watch this, hand me one of those blankets right there, uh, Lauren. I, I've used this before, but I gotta say it to you again because there's something breaking loose in our church right now that I find absolutely fascinating. Corey, come on up here and stand. Don't fall out, okay? This is not, this is not, just stand right here. The moment that, He's born. The devil wants to keep his mind and his heart veiled from any penetration of the gospel. His sight is limited. His understanding is somewhat confused. He gets whispered to in his ear, you're good, no need to be born again. God's going to look at your goodness. You've never treated anybody unkind. Look at all the benevolence things that you're doing. Look at all those Christians. They're not volunteering, and you're volunteering. You're helping in the community. You're feeding the homeless. You're taking care of the park systems. You're cleaning up trash. You're walking up and down the road and helping those that are in need. All those type of things that you're, you're doing, being whispered into his ear. Whereas the gospel is trying to make it into his mind. 
You cannot be saved without an understanding of your necessity of who you are in what is in sin and your necessity of having a savior to come into your life and transform you. You cannot be born again unless your mind is engaged. I'm going to say it again. You cannot be born again until your mind acknowledges that you are unsaved. I'm lost. I'm dying and going to hell and I am in need of a savior. So good. So good. That's why solid Bible teaching that's why solid Bible teaching. <laughs> that's, why, that's why solid Bible teaching is important. We got to reach the mind. But our mind, your mind's not our only target because then I got to get it from your mind into your spirit, into your soul, and into your heart. But you can't get born again unless... You understand, I am in need of a Savior. Now, this is why people can sit in a service like this, be unsaved, and stay unsaved. There's a lot of activity going on around his head in the church service. He's thinking about what he's got to do this afternoon. He's thinking where he's got to go. He's thinking who he's got to return a text to. Or he's probably doing it while he's in church. <laughs> he's thinking about the fun he's going to have on Friday and Saturday, right? And, 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 and then he looks around and he sees on Friday night, while he was at O'Malley's, he sees one of us sitting down on the second row lifting our hands, but on Friday night, you were wasted and cursing. Yeah. Yeah. And so the devil goes, it's good that you're here. I mean, look at them. Have you ever seen such hypocrisy? You're good. You're, you're, you're better than them. You are okay. So how does the veil get moved? This is, the, this is the million dollar question. How does the veil get removed so that there's no interference so that God has access to his mind? You see, the God of this world has blinded his mind. Notice what I said, not his eyes, his mind, lest he see, not with his eyes, but with his mind. Are you okay under there? Okay, yes, don't, don't lock your knees and fall out because we'll think it's the Holy Ghost. I won't, I won't. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's how we pray. You got a loved one on your list, three or four people, five people, ten people that you're going to write down. Inviting them to church is great. Keep inviting them. But here's how we pray. Dear God, I thank you that you are moving heaven and earth to penetrate the darkness over Corey's life. And God's been doing that. So I don't pray that prayer a lot. I pray it, but here's how I pray. I command the devil to remove the blinder from Corey's mind so that the gospel 
without interference can penetrate his mind. I'm going to say it again. I say to the devil, if it's Timmy that I'm praying for, God, I know you love Timmy. I know you died on the cross for Timmy. I know that the Holy Spirit has been sent, according to John 16, to convict him of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Lord, according to your Bible, that you are drawing Timmy, let's say Corey, unto yourself. You're drawing him because he lifted up. I'll draw all men to myself. But Lord, there is an interferer. There is an interference. There is this God that has blinded his mind lest he see the glorious light of the gospel. So my responsibility and my role as a believer is to pray against that and command, devil, I now command you to release your hold over his mind to cause that blinder, whatever that is, to be removed so that the gospel, the light of Jesus, can enlighten his mind. I don't have to talk Jesus into saving him. Please, you don't even ask him. Don't even, don't even ask him. Oh God, save Corey. Well, what else you want me to do? I died for him. I shed my blood for him. I came back from the dead. I'm drawing him. I draw all men. I don't want anybody to perish. You're wasting your breath when you try to ask Jesus to save somebody. Now my role, my responsibility is to understand 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and get the understanding that it's not God an issue that's not doing his job. God's done everything that he's going to do. He's sending Christians into his life, trying to, to witness to you, right? Amen. Mm-hmm. But what, what's happening is there's this veil. So now I see you, you're a friend of mine, and I, and I love you deeply, and I say, God, remove that veil. I bind Satan in the name of Jesus. Command you to take your hands off of him. I've watched this with my own eyes. You can be seated, Corey. I watched people who were hardened, unchurched, unconcerned, did not care about going to the house of God, care about their spiritual state. All of a sudden, in a matter of a few weeks, they get a phone call, Mama, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to go to church. Can I sit by you today? Well, that, that's just the beginning of the veil. Now, a lot of times we just stop. And we go, oh, right, he going? No, we got to keep going. Because as we're trying to take it off, he's trying to put it back on. As we're pulling it off, he's trying to put it back on. This is why you're consistent in praying for people. This is why it matters where we labor, we travail. There's angst, there's, there's concern, there's a burden that comes with this that you literally pray for people to be born again over and over and over and over again until they get born again. Well, where's faith? Why, why do I have to keep asking him? Because the Bible tells us to keep asking. Well, then that a lack of faith when you keep asking? No, it's called persistence. Because I, listen, the reason I keep asking is because I have faith. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to say it again. It's not because I have doubt. If I had doubt, I wouldn't ask him a second time. If I doubted, I would stop asking. It's because I keep believing that I keep asking. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know your children. Come on now for one moment. Mama, can I have an aspirin? No. 
30 seconds. Daddy, can I have an ice cream? What'd your mama say? Mama, can I have an ice cream? No. Don't ask me again. Mama, can I have an ice cream? <laughs> Let me tell you why they keep asking you. Because they believe. They believe. They keep asking because they believe. They really know if they keep asking, they're going to wear you out. Now, look at Luke 11. Somebody hand me your Bible. You got it, PM, right there, Luke 11? Uh, just a moment. Then, is this helping anybody? You keep asking. You keep asking. You keep asking. It's not a lack of faith. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's really a demonstration of faith. Look down here at verse 5. Which of you who have a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? You see that in verse 5? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot, cannot get up and give you anything to eat. So here's the story. Danny, stand up here very quickly. All right. Ebo, stand next to him. You come to him because he's your buddy. You're traveling in the city, and you need a place to stay, and you're hungry. So you ask your friend, hey, you have anything for me to eat? He says, I don't have anything in the cupboard, but I have a friend that has something. And here's his friend, okay? And so since you don't have it, you're going to come over here to your friend at midnight. Ready? No, you stay there, Ebo. No, Danny, you come right here. And so you're going to, but listen, you're going to knock on the door. Knock on the door. He's in bed with his, he's in bed with his kids. He's got groceries, but he's in bed. What it says. Don't stay right there. You say, do not bother me, for now the door is shut and my children are with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I've got it, but I'm not going to give it to you. He went on behalf of this one. He didn't have it, but he knew somebody that did. And he knew that he had it, but the hour's inconvenient. And you're sleeping with your family. Do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, his persistence, he will rise and give whatever he needs. So in other words, you yelled at him from the bedroom. I'm in bed with my kids. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. But what did he kept doing? Kept knocking. Kept knocking, kept knocking, kept knocking, so kept, knocking kept knocking, kept knocking, kept knocking, and kept knocking to the point where you got either I'm going to give him some loaves of bread or this man's going to drive me nuts. Your Bible says because of his persistence. At no point did he doubt or have lack of faith. He knew that if I irritated him enough, because he's not going to get any sleep, your Bible says this. God said to the children of Israel, give me no rest. Give me no rest. Give me no rest. 
All right, you guys can be seated. You ready? Let me read a couple. Verse 9. And I tell you, ask, this is the words of Jesus, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. In other words, what he's saying, in the original language, it means ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking, and knock until, listen, and you keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, ice cream, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Can you imagine if the body of Christ, just here at Christ Fellowship Church, understood, comprehended, grasped, clutched this principle, that whatever we asked, we stayed with it until we saw it manifest in front of us. Can you imagine if we understood this truth to the point that he is a good father, and he taught us if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. First John chapter four, that we have the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and that he will grant to us the petitions that we ask. He taught us, thy kingdom come, your will be done on the earth. The breakthrough comes sometimes after the next knock. We cannot assume that one time, two times, three times, five times, six times, however many times we ask him, that now we just need to sit back and wait until it happens. There will come a moment when faith arises in your heart and the peace of God says, I've heard and the answer's on the way. That's when you transition from asking to thanksgiving. Even though it has not yet manifested you have the word from God, the peace of God that rules your hearts, and now you know it is in transition. And until you get that peace praying over your friend, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking, you keep binding, you keep taking authority over the darkness over their life. Now, I shared a month and a half ago about our high schools. And typically in the Western society, us, we think of something two weeks, then we move on to something else. Out of sight, out of mind, right? I'll do something really good for two weeks. I'll diet for two weeks. I'll exercise for two weeks. I'll be kind for two weeks, okay? I won't cuss in traffic for two weeks, whatever the case is. Two weeks, right? I'm telling you. I'm not going to relent. I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop seeking. And I'm not going to stop knocking, okay? Even though I see very little movement over our high school in the spirit arena, our natural tendency is to quit, to pull back, to withdraw, to go, you know what? God's got it. I'm tired. This is exhausting. 
but who's wrestling with me? Who's going to continue to wrestle? And we're going to, and I know it's an inconvenient moment. I know that, that I, I don't have the answer. I don't have the bread. I don't, I don't, but I know somebody who does. And I know that, that, that he's got it. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta leave him. And I gotta, I gotta leave the person that came to me that needs me the most. And I, and, 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 but I gotta go over here to the person who has the bread in his cupboard. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to knock until something happens. Can you imagine? What's going to happen over that high school? Not because we desire it or we want it to happen. Talk about it. It happens because we dismantle it one thick inch at a time. We labor in it. This is why prayer is difficult for folks. This is why we pull away from prayer. We want it easy. Prayer is exhausting. Tiring. It's called warfare. We wrestle not with flesh. We wrestle in prayer. We wrestle in prayer. We are where we are in the North Georgia Revival at 268 weeks and thousands of miracles and over 32,000 people baptized, not because we talked about it, desired it, wanted it, hoped it, wished it, had good thoughts toward it, but there's an army of individuals that pray every week, five times a week in this room. That's why tonight we will see nicotine leave people's bodies. That's why tonight we'll see endometriosis healed in that woman's body. Not because we, not because we get into the water. The moment we stop praying, the fire lifts. The fire has sustained itself because of the breath of the people of God in prayer, asking God to continue to show himself mighty in this room. Do you hear what I'm saying? I know it's exhausting, but people are coming for bread. May it not be that we have a cupboard and a water and a service, but no bread. As to Marty, all of us, the most important thing that we do is pray. It has to be the highest priority of our lives. If my instruction could heal you, you would have already been healed. If my teaching could heal you, you would have already been healed. And it helps, it helps build faith but it's the moments that we isolate ourselves and get with God for we have no bread, but we know the one who does. And I will ask, seek, and knock every day. Stand your feet all across the room. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Because this is what I want to see happen. 
that when people walk into the room, excuse me, yeah, when people walk into the room, they encounter him. That doesn't happen because we hit the right note. We say the right words. We preach the right message. That life change happens because tomorrow night, some of you will be in this room, I hope all of you, knocking. I traveled to New York last year, one year ago this Friday. Great church. I get into the building, there's 15 people. The Lord never said to me, go to big churches or to ask them how big their church is before I go. Usually they volunteer me the number. They say, we small. I go, okay, great. You hungry? Yeah. I said, I'll come. Okay. Pastor, we don't know we're going to be able to afford you. I said, don't worry about it. I'll pay my own way. Are you hungry? I'm hungry. I said, we'll be there. We don't know if we can give you an offering. I didn't ask. I get there on a Friday night, I think it was. A local pastor comes to another pastor's church and his wife has been sick for years. Two years immobile, basically, pain all through her body. Karen, we get there. I give the speech, North Georgia Revival, here's how it happened, here's how it sustains, here are five testimonies, eight testimonies. I'm exhausted. Three people get baptized. I've gone where there's been 300 get baptized. Where people baptized at five the next morning. Dude, I was going to be able to be done in 10 minutes. 15, 16 people, three people get baptized. This pastor's wife gets into the water. Crippled, not immobile as far as can't walk, but just literally pain for two years. And in three seconds, three seconds, three seconds, every ounce of pain, every sickness in her body, the disease in her body that was diagnosed in three seconds, completely gone, just completely, completely eliminated. Three seconds. One, two, three. One, two, three. I'm in with amazement reading her post. I showed it to you yesterday. I, I bet that testimony was that long on Facebook. Fifteen to seventeen people, and three got in the water. The whole trip was because of that one lady. I tell pastors that run eight and nine, I said, you got sick people in your church, don't you? They go, they go yeah. I said, then good. That's, we're going to pray. We'll get them in the water. God will touch them. 
That lady has taken, her and her husband has taken the revival to New York. That one immersion has literally spilled out into the New York area. Folks from all over the area are coming to their churches to be immersed. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this, and this is why I'm closing with this, stu- with this story. When you and I pray on Monday nights, and when you and I pray on Wednesday nights, and you and I, you and I pray on Saturday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I know we're tired, it's midnight. I can't go up there and share stories and preach and teach and expect miracles to happen. They're a part of it, builds faith. But when I go and I'm on that plane, I've got hundreds of intercessors that prays. I go on the shoulders of you guys. And at six o'clock on Monday, I'm tuning in before I preach on Monday night. I'll be in Virginia tomorrow, but at six o'clock, I'll be in prayer meeting, but I'll be in a private room in a church praying with you. And then when Pastor Marty stands up and says, hey, Pastor Todd's about ready to preach, and I, and I know you guys, or 100 plus of you, are praying, when I stand up, I, I'm standing up with bread in my cupboard. Because I know, I know there's a hundred, listen, I know there's a hundred to 200 of you that are interceding for me right now, and I, and I can go with the utmost confidence that when they get in that water, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. I said, we're going to baptize you until you either drown and go meet Jesus or you're going to get healed. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So tomorrow night, tomorrow night, listen, I know it's springtime. I know you're wanting to be outside. But you have to, you have to give yourself to this. You've got to get, this is, this is the kingdom that we're talking about. And that lady is disease-free, pain-free for a solid year. Not because Todd went. I went with hundreds of you in my suitcase. Bold as a lion. Lift your hands. Father, I bless you. I thank you for this incredible place. Teach us to pray. Teach me to pray. Show me God. Pray for my neighbors, Lord. I pray for my friends that don't know you. Devil, take your hands off their mind. Let the gospel penetrate their heart. Soften them, O Lord Jesus. Devil, we bind you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. All right, God bless you. I'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock. Pastor Philip Fields, you don't want to miss it this evening. 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, North Georgia Revival, 268.